I'm Jake Tapper, and this is CNN Tonight, live from Ukraine on night 40, night 40 of hell. I'm in Lviv in the west, but all eyes right now are on eastern Ukraine right now. That's where Russian troops seem to be repositioning from the Kyiv area and could be preparing for a new large-scale offensive. Ukraine's defense ministry says that the Russians seem to be focused on capturing the second largest city of Kharkiv, which is about 20 miles from the Russian border. The Pentagon says that they have also seen more military operations in the southeastern Donbass region. This new phase comes after Putin's forces failed to capture the capital of Kyiv, and they've now mostly withdrawn from that specific region. We now have a much clearer picture of the atrocities that were committed there while the Russians were there. A sickening picture in the town of Bucha, which is on the western outskirts of Kyiv. By now you may have seen the images. If you have not yet seen them, I have to warn you, they're extremely disturbing. Um, but they're also an important record of history. Scenes of a massacre, slaughter, torture of civilians in Bucha, bodies, bodies of civilians lying all along the streets. Some victims found with their, their hands bound, shot execution style, like by gangsters. There are accounts of rapes and beatings and lootings. Kids were killed. Also jarring is the sight of mass graves. Around 150 victims estimated to be buried at one site. But the mayor of Bucha says there could be up to actually 300 bodies in that site. This has, of course, horrified the international community. But the question is, what will the world do to stop Putin, if anything? President Biden said without hesitation today that these are war crimes. And, and Biden says he wants to see Vladimir Putin put on trial. I got criticized for calling Putin a war criminal. Well, the truth of the matter, you saw what happened in Vukic. This warrants him, he is a war criminal. We have to gather all the detail so this can be an actual have a war crime trial. This guy is brutal. I think it is a war crime. So how to stop him? How to stop the war criminal? The White House said the U.S. will, addition, will issue additional sanctions against Russia this week in response to what happened in Bucha. The U.S. will continue to back Ukraine with military aid and humanitarian aid and economic support. But what is going to actually stop this? Can Putin be stopped? Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky today visited the town of Bucha. He's calling the atrocities there genocide. Zelensky also visited the nearby Kyiv suburb of Stoyanka, Ukraine. Uh, these are new drone images of the massive destruction there. Meanwhile, a very close call for one of our CNN crews today, positioned in southern Ukraine, just south of the city of Mykolaiv. Their vehicles were damaged significantly by incoming artillery rounds. Watch for yourself. Down here, John, down here. Keep on rolling. Those shells came pretty close to us. Thankfully, all are physically okay, including CNN senior international correspondent Ben Wiedemann, who, who you just saw there in that clip. Let's turn now to another senior international correspondent, Fred Pleitkin, 
who, with his own eyes, bore witness to those horrific mass graves in Bucha today. Uh, Fred is witnessing up close what will be remembered as much as anything we've seen so far in Putin's war. And Fred's live in Kiev with his first-hand account. Fred? Hi there, Jake. And, and the situation in Bucha certainly is one uh, that can only be described as tragic. And I think one of the things that really stands out is that the Russian forces withdrew from that place uh, four days, a little more than four days ago. And yet down there on the ground, the people who are searching there are still finding bodies uh, in the streets, in cars that were shot up, in basements, generally in houses, also in houses, quite frankly, that were destroyed also uh, in the fighting as well. So the situation there uh, is is tragic for the people there. They are sad. They are angry. At the same time, they also vow uh, that they want to carry on and obviously rebuild their town. But at the same time, they are still finding a lot of dead people and they fear it will be a lot more. And I need to warn our viewers that what you're about to see is extremely graphic and extremely disturbing. Ukrainian authorities in Bucha lead us into a basement they call a Russian execution chamber. It's a gruesome scene. Five bodies their hands tied behind their backs, shot. The bullet casings collected by Ukrainian police, pockmarks from bullets in the walls. The Ukrainians say these men were killed when Russian forces used this compound as a military base while occupying Bucha. An advisor to Ukraine's interior minister not even trying to conceal his anger. After the liberation of Bucha, five corpses of civilians were found here, he says, with their hands tied behind their backs. They were shot in the head and in the chest. They were tortured before. Even the body collectors find it hard to keep their composure. Vladislav Minchenko is usually a painter. Now he collects the dead left behind after Russian forces retreated from Bucha. <laughs> this is not what we learned in school, he says. Do you see my hands? Hundreds, hundreds of dead. Hundreds, not dozens. The Kremlin has denied Russia was behind any atrocities in Bucha. Now, the Russians say the notion of their troops having killed civilians is all fake news and propaganda, but it does seem clear that they were here. That looks like a sort of foxhole position, and over there they seem to have dug in a tank. On the outer wall, the letter V, a symbol that Russian forces painted on their vehicles before invading this part of Ukraine. Now, a lot of Russian military hardware lies destroyed in the streets of Bucha and other towns around Kiev, as the Ukrainians made a stand and prevented Vladimir Putin's army from entering the capital city. Images published shortly after Russian forces left Bucha show many corpses lying in the streets. Some bodies had their hands tied behind their backs. President Biden calls what happened here a war crime. While visiting Bucha, Ukraine's president vowed to bring those behind the violence against civilians to justice. These are war crimes, he says, and they will be recognized by the world as genocide. You are here and you can see what happened. We know that thousands of people were killed and tortured, teared limbs, raped women and killed children. And still, the dead keep piling up. Many lay in this mass grave behind the main church in Bucha. Local authorities tell us around 150 people are buried here, but no one knows the exact number. And here, too, the scenes are tragic. <laughs> Vladimir has been searching for his younger brother, Dimitri. Now he's convinced Dimitri lies here, even though he can't be 100% sure.
The neighbor accompanying him has strong words for the Russians. Why do you hate Ukraine so much, she says. Since the 1930s, you've been abusing Ukraine. You just wanted to destroy us. You wanted us gone. But we will be. Everything will be okay. I believe it. But more corpses are already on the way. At the end of the day, we meet Vladislav and the body collectors again. Another nine bodies found in this tour alone. And it's unlikely they'll be the last. And one thing that we have to keep in mind, Jake, is that the uh, the crews that are doing all this, they are all volunteers. And they tell us that, you know, they've, they've already recovered those hundreds of bodies. And as they were unloading that van, one of the things that really struck us the most is that, uh, first of all, some of those body bags were already ripping apart because they had so many bodies in the back of that van. But there were also some really small body bags that simply had single limbs, in some cases, really badly burned that obviously even make it difficult to identify some of the victims of this. And there certainly, they say, will be many, many more to come. Jake? Well, that's the thing, right, Fred? I mean, there's this growing fear uh, that there are going to be other places like Bucha with mass graves and atrocities. Uh, Bucha was not the only city under Russia control for this long period of time. It's entirely possible this is just a little, this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah, and, and that's actually exactly the words that the foreign minister of Ukraine used today, uh, saying that they do fear that there are going to be places. And the president, Volodymyr Zelensky, he also said that there could be other towns where the situation could even be worse, if that's something that can be imagined, judging by the horrors that we've been seeing in Bucha over the past two days that we visited that place. One of the things that I actually did, Jake, uh, over this weekend is I went to other sort of small towns around Kiev that were held by the Russians. There's another one uh, to, uh, to the north called Borodyanka, and there you also see absolute massive destruction as well. And, and the authorities there told us, you know, we saw a lot of houses that were completely destroyed. We have some of the video here. Um, and... And there, they said, they, they believe that there's a lot of people who are still buried dead uh, under those houses they simply haven't been able to get to. But actually, as we were in Borodyanka, there were people who came to us and said that they had found a dead body in their backyard uh, that we then went and saw uh, with his hands tied behind his back and a bullet wound to the head. And we still found the shell casings next to that body as well. So certainly, it, it could very well be the case that there could be more atrocities that could be discovered and certainly a lot more civilians that have come to harm and, and been killed, Jake. Fred Pleitkin and Keith, thank you so much for that important, important report. Appreciate it. Um, all the devastation that we're seeing took place in just a matter of weeks. That only magnifies, really, what, what could be to come. It may not be just a matter of a few more weeks before all is said and done. That first, quote-unquote, phase of the conflict, of the Russians have put it, was measured in weeks. This next phase could be measured in months or longer. Timelines matter in war, even more so given that a, a U.S. military officer tells me the Biden administration, in his view, is simply not doing enough or moving fast enough to get needed supplies, military supplies, into Ukrainian hands. I'm joined now by former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, Evo Dalder, and former NATO Supreme Allied Commander and retired General Wesley Clark. Uh, welcome uh, to both of you. General, what can be done to get the Ukrainians the supplies they need quicker? Well, for one thing, some of the supplies they need are not in American hands. They're in the hands of our European allies. 
So in order to fight the next phase of this battle, the Ukrainians have got to have tanks. They've got to have mobile artillery. They've got to have maybe 100,000 artillery rounds. This is big lift stuff. It's not coming from the United States. got to come from Poland, Bulgaria, and so forth. I'm told the White House has still not cleared our allies to release this. Now, I don't know what the issue is. Maybe the issue is the allies say, no, no, we can't give this up until you give us M1 tanks and new self-propelled artillery. Or maybe the ally, maybe we're measuring this in some way and say, well, we don't want to give them too much because we don't, you know, we don't want to escalate this so that Putin uses a nuclear weapon. But Jake, my, my view on this is that um, we've got a window of opportunity here to give the Ukrainians exactly what they're asking for. We've got to do it quickly and let them finish the fight with the Russians. This is not about stabilizing Ukraine. At this point, it's about getting the Russians out entirely. After what we've seen today, how can there possibly, how could you reward an aggressor by giving him a piece of this country after what he's done? God, Russia has to be forced out. And it's up to the force of arms of the Ukrainians to do it. Mr. Ambassador, what can NATO do? What should NATO do about the kind of atrocities we're seeing in places like Bucha? I get it that Ukraine's not a NATO country, uh, and, and there's a lot of reluctance and hesitation to, to have uh, NATO or U.S. boots on the ground. I totally understand. But what more can NATO do? Well, NATO as an institution, other than actually moving forces in, can do very little. Uh, but NATO countries, as General Clark just said, can do a lot more. Uh, and uh, flowing in not just the kind of weapons that happen uh, sent in great quantities, but uh, the, really the more major capabilities like tanks, like artillery, like multiple uh, launch rocket systems that General Clark was talking about. Frankly, anti-ship missiles. There's a lot of missiles being shot from the Black Sea uh, that uh, the uh, Ukrainians could defend themselves. That's really important. I, you know, I think the problem is, as General Clark said, we, the United States, have very little of the equipment that the Ukrainians actually know how to use or allies do. And if the allies insist that for every T-72 tank they send uh, to, um, uh, to Ukraine, they need an, uh, an M1A1 from us, uh, that's going to be problematical. We just don't have enough of them to be, uh, to be sent in. So figuring out how to measure uh, what we would need to send to the Poles, the Bulgarians, and others so they can start arming and, and providing more capabilities to the Ukrainians, it's just a tough task. Remember that also that we want these countries to be able to defend themselves with our help should uh, should this uh, in some ways escalate to NATO territory. I do think that we need to start talking about uh, thinking about security guarantees, not only when the war is over, but frankly, if the war is going to be concentrated in the East, what are we prepared to do in terms of uh, securing much more of Ukrainian territory now that the Russians are moving very far away from uh, some of the major cities. I think that's an, an issue that, frankly, NATO can and probably will be discussing uh, as it runs up to its summit in June. General National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said earlier today that the administration is going to announce more sanctions this week. What more can they do? Is it enough, given that the ruble is about to rebound to what it was worth before the invasion? Well, you know, I think anything you can do with respect to sanctions is fine. As the president said in the beginning, if it's not going to stop the Russian attack, it's a form of punishment. 
We know from previously putting sanctions in on countries like Haiti or Iraq or Iran that you, it causes a lot of problems. It doesn't produce regime change and it doesn't necessarily affect the government's policies. So here I think the United States needs a clear-eyed policy analysis and say, what is our aim with Ukraine? Now, what we said was we were going to do our best to help Ukraine. Ukraine's done a lot to help itself. So what's our objective here, to stabilize it? One former ambassador says, oh, just stop the killing. Let them have, let, give Russia Donbass, give them Crimea, just stop the killing. We have to understand Putin's aims are not limited to Ukraine. This is the opportunity to stop Putin in his tracks. If he takes Ukraine, the rest of NATO is at risk. So we've got a window of opportunity to give these fighting soldiers in Ukraine what they need. And one thing Ambassador Daldo and I didn't mm -hmm. mention so far, I want to underscore, they need air support. They've got pilots, they'll fly. What is the difference between a drone provided by Turkey and a MiG provided by some other country, both operated by Ukrainians. What's the difference? It needs to be in there. It needs to be in there now. And if there's some kind of a policy holdup on the part of the White House because they're afraid, oh, well, let's get this calibrated exactly right. Let's don't have the Ukrainians go too far too fast. We might cause Putin to be upset. Putin doesn't need an exit strategy. Putin started a war and it needs to be finished by the Ukrainians. General Clark, Ambassador Dalder, thanks to both of you. Really appreciate your thoughts this evening. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says we cannot become numb to these atrocities. We're going to talk to a member of Ukraine's parliament about how these images out of Bucha affect her personally, what consequences she would like to see for Russia. That's next. I want to turn now to Ukrainian Member of Parliament uh, Ina Suvsan. She was recently reunited with her son after being separated from him for the first three weeks of this war, this invasion by Russia. Uh, she's in western Ukraine right now where she's actively tweeting about the atrocities that we've been covering, atrocities in Bucha, Ukraine, and she joins us uh, now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. In a recent tweet, you wrote about an image stuck in your head from the Bucha massacre. It was the image of a woman's dead body. You said she had shoes similar to yours. Tell us what was going through your mind when you saw that image. Well, first of all, you have to realize we are all in shock when watching those videos and photos from Bucha and the neighboring towns around Kiev, which have just been um, returned under Ukraine's control. And then I was looking through the images and I saw a picture which just stuck in my head and I couldn't understand what, what amazed me most. And I realized that the woman, that woman on the picture had the sneakers, which was similar to the one that I had. And it, it stuck with me because I was thinking like, she's exactly like me. She's exactly, we have the same taste. We were living similar lives. She was living not far away from me. We were shopping in the same shops. We were going to the same stores and everything. And now she's dead. And it's just random that she is dead and I am not. It's just random death that came to her. And I was thinking about that image and I was feeling that this is silly, remembering this image because of the shoes. And I talked to a friend of mine and he said, you know what, I was feeling silly as well, but I saw a man 
who was wearing the shoes exactly like the one I have. And that struck me most as well, mm. just because this gives you this intense feeling that those that person is exactly like myself and he or she is dead right now. We've been showing the video of these corpses uh, strewn about the streets in Bucha. Has the parliament, has the Ukrainian parliament discussed any efforts to, to identify the people on these streets and identify those buried in the mass graves? Not as right now. We had the last parliamentary session at the end of the last week, and uh, we don't know when the next emergency session will take place. They typically take place once a week, but the, the next one has not been announced yet. But different members of parliament are diff making different efforts in terms of helping people uh, who suffered, but also in, in uh, collecting evidence uh, about the victims. Uh, uh, so, so that is the process that is being done right now. But we are uh, more involved in the work regarding the, the international proceedings of the war crimes that have been committed there. And that is something that may, many members of parliament are trying to help with, including myself, because what we want is justice done to those victims. But we also want the world to make an official statement. This, these were the war crimes which were part of the genocide of Ukrainian people by Russians. And, and we want the world to say that out loud because we want the truth to be told for those victims, but also for the many people who are still suffering under Russian control on the east and the south of Ukraine. And I'm afraid to say that, but what we have seen in Bucha, we shall see much worse of that in Mariupol. We shall see worse of that in Kharkiv and in many other cities that are under Russian control right now. And that is why, while we are being in shock about Bucha, what we're asking for is please give us weapons so we can stop from many more cases like Bucha taking place in, in other cities that are being under Russian control right now. And the only way to stop them is, I'm sorry, not with the sanctions, not with the, with the you know, general uh, condemnation of Putin and, and his soldiers, but with weapons provided to the Ukrainian army. And, and Putin seems to be even more popular than ever uh, in Russia. Uh, do, you, do you think that that is because of the propaganda that he feeds his people who don't believe these, these facts and figures and, and, and what's going on, the atrocities that Putin and his army are committing? You know, I can't imagine what is happening in the heads of Russians, but there are some facts that I know. We do know that the Russian soldiers in the areas that they take under their control, they start uh, looting the houses. And we have also seen them uh, stealing stuff from the, from the people's homes here and then going back to Belarus and then sending that stuff back to their homes, to their wives, to their parents. Those people know what their soldiers, what their family members, their sons, their husbands are doing here. And they're quite okay with that. They're okay with their soldiers, with their sons, with their husbands coming here, raping Ukrainian women, stealing stuff from their homes and sending those back to Russia. Those people know that and they're okay with it. And, and I can't imagine how is that possible in normal, I don't know, in normal person's mind. Uh, but I believe this hatred towards Russians, in, uh, towards Ukrainians is, is so strong among Russians. And, and uh, of course, it has been supported by Putin's propaganda. But it also, you know, you have to remember there were centuries of complex relations between Russia and Ukraine. This is not the first time that the Russians are trying to 
uh, kill Ukrainians in great numbers. In 1932-33, in Great Famine, they killed 10 million Ukrainians. They keep on doing that. And, and, yeah. uh, and that, that is a historical reality. So I believe that many Russians, they understand what is happening here. And they support Putin precisely because he's killing us here. And, and, and that is even more scary because I wish there was an easy solution of hoping for Putin to die soon and then everything will be fine. But I don't think so. I think this hatred towards, Russia, uh, towards Ukrainians is, is much stronger than Putin, actually. Thank you so much, uh, Ina Susan. I appreciate your time tonight. Ahead, photographic proof that the Russians are lying when they claim those bodies in Bucha were placed on the streets after Russia withdrew from the region. That's next. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said this afternoon that scenes such as what we're witnessing in Bucha are, quote, part of the plan that Russia has for this invasion. U.S. intelligence does not believe Bucha was a rogue act. Instead, U.S. intelligence thinks Russia is looking to, quote, impose a reign of terror across any territories that the Russians capture in Ukraine. The Kremlin is now lying about these horrors. Satellite imagery shows the truth that the Kremlin cannot refute. CNN has been able to match geolocated video to satellite pictures showing bodies in the street. The sat images show bodies that have been there since at least March 18th. Keep in mind, Russia controlled that area until March 31st. As far back as March 10th, weeks before the Ukrainians retook control of the town, we saw trenches being dug, trenches now filled with corpses. A new report from Human Rights Watch documents numerous cases of Russian soldiers raping victims in Ukraine and even summary executions of civilians, which reportedly happened before what we are now seeing in Bucha. The question is, what can the West do about it? I'm joined now by Rachel Denver. She is deputy director of Human Rights Watch. Uh, Rachel, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Human Rights Watch doing such important work here. But explain for our viewers the importance of documenting these atrocities. Thank you, Jake. It's really good to be with you. Yes, we've documented seven summary executions, one in Bucha that took place on March 4th, and one in the village of Stari Bukiv in Chernihiv region that took place on February 27th. Um, and we also, like you said, we did document one case of rape in Kharkiv uh, region, and we documented other uh, just horrific incidents of horrific violence against civilians. And it's really important right now to secure evidence. Uh, we have to consider uh, Bucha, for example, um, you know, the bodies that, have been that are strewn all over the place there. And in, and in pits, we have to consider them like a crime scene. So uh, the evidence needs to be preserved so that um, experts, forensic experts, ballistic experts, can, uh, that, that have training in, uh, in war crimes investigations and know how to uh, follow and have experience following uh, protocols for evidence preservation so that they can do their work, preserve the evidence for eventual justice. Rachel, explain to our viewers what a summary execution is. It's a uh, summary execution is where um, 
somebody like sets you up and uh, shoot basically just shoots you in the back of the just shoots you it's a it's a it's a shooting it's an it's a murder and in the context of a war an armed conflict it's a war crime so what we documented in Bucha we had a, a woman who witnessed uh, Russian soldiers bringing uh, five uh, young men out to a square uh, putting them on their knees uh, forcing them to put their T-shirts over their head. And then one man, who seemed to be the commander, just uh, popped one in the back of the head. And when the woman left the scene, the four others were still there kneeling. She, by the way, left Bucha on March 9th. And when she left Bucha, she saw that young man's body still lying on the scene. And she saw lots of other bodies. She described seeing many other bodies as she was leaving. So not only is there, uh, you know, is there the, the photographic imagery that you were describing uh, that, 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 testi- that testified to the presence of bodies on the scene in Bucha well before uh, the town changed hands back into Ukrainian forces. But we have, we have witness testimony telling us all about these bodies. We don't know. We don't know the, the circumstances for each and every. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Well, I just I think it's important to underscore that you know each one of those bodies has its own story. Uh, some people might have been killed through some through summary execution, like the young men whose uh, execution we documented. Some people might have gotten. Uh, caught in crossfire. Remember, there were there were lots of military hostilities in Bucha. Some people might have, might have been killed by Russian forces just shooting them as their uh, as their cars were trying to escape. We documented another case uh, in Bucha of a man who was killed because he I mean he was in his home and uh, Russian soldiers came up to the house and just shot through the door and uh, and he died of uh, you know he bled out and died. So there are, there are many different circumstances under which people were killed, and each, each one of those is a potential crime scene, and each one needs to be thoroughly and impartially investigated. Rachel Denver with Human Rights Watch. Thank you so much for your work and for your time this evening. Coming up, we're live in Odessa in southern Ukraine, where Russian missiles destroyed an oil refinery and fuel storage facilities across the street from homes, civilian homes. How much worse could things get in southern Ukraine? Plus, I'm going to talk with an American born in Ukraine who's now back here on a humanitarian mission to try to save people in his native country. That's ahead. Ukrainian President Zelensky is warning now that civilian casualties may be higher in other newly liberated areas, such as Bucha, outside the capital of Kyiv. Meanwhile, civilians in the port city of Odessa in southern Ukraine are bracing for more Russian attacks after Russian missile strikes targeted two major facilities early Sunday. CNN's Ed Lavendera joins us now live from Odessa. And Ed, we've seen strikes in multiple southern cities, including Odessa. What stands out from the way these Russian attacks are carried out? Well, if you look at the two rounds of airstrikes that hit the Odessa area on Sunday, seemed very specific, targeted to these oil refineries and fuel storage facilities. Um, the uh, Russian officials had uh, said that they had used high-precision missiles to attack those very spots. U.S. military officials say they have no reason not, not to believe that uh, that is what exactly happened in, in this case. And then you drive about two hours east of where we are, Jake, into Mykolaiv, 
um, and you see the, the shelling that has happened there. And in the words of uh, one local official there, that uh, they believe that those attacks there are designed to harass and panic the, the public. Uh, this is m uh, much more sporadic, no rhyme or reason, actually more deadly as uh, there was one strike in particular that killed, killed 10 civilians and injured m many more early earlier today. So it's that indiscriminate nature of the way these attacks are being carried out right now here in, in the southern region uh, that is perhaps most uh, perplexing and uh, uh, terrifying for residents here. Parts of the South other than Odessa have been, have been pummeled more than Odessa has, like Mariupol, for example. Um, what do Ukrainian officials believe is, is the Russian strategy here? Well, the concern and, and the fear is that the uh, Russians still have their eyes set on Odessa. That was what the concern has been from the get-go. Obviously, perhaps this dynamic changes given how Russian forces were beat back and pushed away and had to retreat ultimately in the north around, around Kiev. But if Russian forces are able to regroup and resupply and then focus with all of their resources in, into the east of this country... Uh, you know, the concern is that they will have enough firepower and manpower to be able to come as far down south as, as Odessa. Um, and, and that's the, you know, the question they have is exactly what are their intentions here at this point? Ed Lavender in Odessa, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Here in the city of Lviv, a, a cultural center, sometimes compared with Paris, now turned humanitarian hub. We're seeing so many people working tirelessly to help those in need in other parts of the country. I want to share with you the story of just one man, one volunteer, a young Ukrainian-born American who felt compelled to return to his native homeland. I just wanted to come and help. Compelled to come. This is where I'm from, you know, like Ukraine is in my blood. One American traveling thousands and thousands of miles to give back to the country he once called home. I'm adopted from here. 2001, my American family adopted me and my uh, three other siblings from a small town. I just want to provide back to where I came from, just help the country I came from, was born from. Originally from a small town near Donetsk, Eric grew up and still lives in New Mexico. And now the 27-year-old is among the roughly 300 volunteers working around the clock at one of the biggest humanitarian centers in Ukraine, where he helps with packing and unpacking humanitarian aid. Even though we're not on the front lines, this work that we're doing here uh, plays a key role. The Lviv Humanitarian Center helps up to 700 displaced people directly every day and sends donations directly to the most hard-hit areas of the country. Today's shipment is going to Hostomel and Bucha, where the city is reeling over the discovery of this mass grave site. I feel like uh, as a society, like we do forget to uh, realize that it still is going on. But it's not something Eric can forget about, seeing a chance to serve a country where his roots run deep. I want Ukraine to be more of me, um, and uh, I like to serve. So giving back to those uh, are less fortunate because, I mean... I was adopted, and then I had everything, and now coming here, I see that there's people a lot less fortunate than me. And our thanks and best wishes to Eric. His parents in New Mexico must be very, very proud. Coming up, 
Polish schools open their doors to a flood of Ukrainian refugee children. CNN goes inside their classrooms as a teacher learns how to educate students in a language she simply doesn't speak. That's next. Welcome back. We're live in Lviv. The U.N. says roughly half of Ukraine's children have left their homes, been forced to flee since Russia's invasion of this country. Many found refuge in neighboring Poland and in Polish schools. CNN's Kyungla visited a school in Warsaw, Poland, where communities are taking in refugees with open arms in spite of the many challenges. To learn the full scope of war, take a seat in Ms. Magda's classroom. She's a Polish teacher using Google Translate to communicate in Ukrainian with her new foreign students. Her class has grown by 40% this month with new children who've just fled the only home they've ever known. You're translating on the internet as you teach. Uh, Yes, because I know only Polish language. How important is it for you as a teacher to help these kids. To jest dla mnie bardzo ważne, very important, <laughs> bardzo ważne. Primary School 157 with bilingual classes has welcomed every new refugee. Classes are more cramped, but these public school students don't complain because they feel they already know the strangers sitting next to them. Well, a lot of kids have come to our school and some of them have told us stories about what's happened. They've left people that they love behind. Edward Szyszewski is 13 years old, a Polish student, seeing the influx of war survivors come through his school doors. The more we take in, the better we're doing. The better? Yes. So you don't mind that the rooms are crowded? No. It's for a good cause. So these are all Polish kids. (laughs) Eva Rexgrenat is the vice director. That's hard. She feels for every child in the building and only wishes she could do more. Especially when I see people helping. And I don't know. We can help in only small part. Warsaw's mayor tells us the strain on his city schools is enormous. The 100,000 additional refugee children in Poland's capital need an education. It's an increase of 30 percent just this last month. Nazar Samodenko is 13. He's from Kyiv. Your mom is here. Yes. Um, Your father? No. He stayed in Ukraine. Nazar's father is a minister helping fight in the war. It took a week for Nazar to escape Ukraine with his mother. School offers the structure of a life he's lost. Your favorite subject is? Math. Math. You like math? Yes. Is it easier being around other Ukrainian kids? Yes, he says. We can talk. They understand. Of the four million refugees fleeing Ukraine, half are children paying the price of adult sins. How hard is it for kids your age to live through this? I think it's practically impossible to go through this. It's just mind-boggling how this could happen to someone that young. 
And the school told us that they're not experts in war trauma, that there really isn't a system set up to deal with all of this at the public school level here in Poland. But despite that, and even if there's another wave of refugees who may come in, they will not turn one single child away. Jake. Kianglan, Warsaw, Poland, thank you so much. We'll be right back from Lviv. Thanks for watching. I'll be back tomorrow with CNN Tonight Live from Ukraine. And I will also see you tomorrow afternoon on The Lead, which begins at 4 p.m. Eastern. Don Lemon Tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.